You're listening to For the Lore, the podcast that delves into the craft of our favorite games, whether lore, gameplay, or game design. Each week, Roger is joined by Joe, Vince, and Marty. Warcraft. Warcraft never changes. Except when it does. We're getting a lot of information now about the Battle for Azura expansion that is coming out. Uh, this is starting with what you just heard in the intro there is the new shorts, Warbringers. And they started out with a hell of a bang. And, well, it was the start of my week as far as I'm concerned. Uh, an amazing original song devoted to Jaina Proudmore. And it was a traditional dirge, not a shanty, not upbeat. It was almost like a funerary dirge, and it was just absolutely amazing. Now, I loved it. I know Roger dug it. Vince, did you even hear it yet? I haven't played Warcraft in like <laughs> six years. And well, that still got me hyped. <laughs> right? And, and So this is one of the things that I do like about the pre-expansion releases. When we had Legion, we had all those, the audio drama and a bunch of short stories. And the short stories all came with cult, like interesting color to the characters as far as what was coming, as well as interesting comic books that sort of fleshed out the world. Well, here, we're not getting comic books. We got a couple comics here and there as far as like end of expansion stuff for Legion. But this, the the Warbringers thing, is massive, to me at least. Um, it's high... Go ahead. I, if I can say something here, and it, it, might, it might seem maybe like I thought about it a little bit too much, but I don't think so. I think it's just because of the way that we look at things a little bit differently. And I know, Joe, you're the same because of our appreciation of music. Which isn't to say that, like, I know clearly, Vince, you like music too, but just... What I feel that Blizzard does exceptionally well is that they get you invested in their games using a variety of medium. So they're not just using, like you said, the comic books or novels or things like that, which appeals to you on both an intellectual and emotional level. They don't just appeal to you with incredible concept art that they'll put out or different things like that, which appeal to that sense. They also understand the, how impactful music is as well and how much that can tie people to a place in the same way that the other things can, which is why when you look at their, their shorts, they are the music is exceptionally well done. That I mean, you can't get any more iconic than Diablo. And the same is true oh, yeah. of a lot of the music in, in Warcraft as well. So I love this because as as someone that is often moved to tears by music that has this emotional connection to music I, I it, it it inserts me into the game world 
more than any novel ever could even. It's it's that impactful. I adored this so much. Well, the other thing about this one in particular, too, is Jaina has been a character that has gone through so many changes since Warcraft 3, throughout the years of World of Warcraft, even the last expansion to now. And this here is another representation of her sort of, for lack of a better term, growing up uh, in this world, and it makes it feel weighty, right? And that's one of the things that I think is is interestingly conveyed, because like, as the lore nerds that we are, and as me being the super wow fanboy that I am, I will I, I will say that there are little things that I notice in the song too. There are references to you know not just her losing her father, but everything. Even the last line of the song is "I'm listening now," and the last thing that was passed between her father and her before he was killed at the hands of Rexar. Uh, was you're not listening to what I'm saying, which is the horde is bad and nothing good will come from this. And so this is in this is before you know the whole founding of Theramore, before her trying to be a neutral player. You know, even after she stood aside and watched her father die, because she was like, it's his own hubris. He's he's making this decision himself. I can do nothing for him. And then it did come back to bite her in the ass again and again and again. And so now it's finally her coming to terms with maybe I should have fucking listened to my father. If maybe. I can say one thing here, and, and I I know that you know the characters a lot better than I do. That that goes without saying, and I'm not challenging that. And it's just going to one of the things that you said, and you might have said it just in passing, but I've heard it from a lot of other people. As it turns out, the Horde Guild that I'm in is not all that fond of Jaina. They were talking about her today in Guild Chat, <laughs> which was absolutely hysterical. But anyways, from everything that I've read, the different novels that she was in, going back to um, like the Thrall one and the stuff that went on in uh with the trial of garage and whatnot and i i haven't read them all but i've actually read a number of them when when people have been saying on twitter as well this idea of she's finally growing up i've never seen her act as a child you know very 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 early on sure but thereafter, it wasn't a child. Whenever, again, a woman makes a mistake or, or, or makes a choice that you would deem to be a mistake, it's, oh, she's so childish or whatever. And I know that's not what you're saying, Joe, but that's no, a lot yeah. of what the, I, I hear. And, and I think she wasn't a child for making bad decisions. She was a human being who made bad calls along the way. And so I don't see this as a, a woman finally, quote unquote, growing up at all. I just see this as a new chapter it's a she chose that day to reinvent who she is and we all do that every day of our lives so i i i saw a different impact on it that i really really quite enjoyed so let me let me rephrase the growing up and, and give it some framing it it's not so much that she's a child from you know because she made mistakes or anything like that it's the same way that i view anduin grew up in before the storm which is a fantastic novel by Christy Golden, which frames Just the coming it. expansion quite well. <laughs> uh, you'll you'll understand this then. Um, it's 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 the sort of naivete I almost want to say where they 
want to expect the best while ignoring what's right in front of their face. And when I say growing up, I mean it's starting to actually look at things more objectively, not necessarily losing all hope, but saying maybe I need to look at things and take people at different values and thinking everybody's good. Like there's some shit people in the world and we all learn that lesson at some point and Warcraft is no different. There are some terrible fucking people in that game world. Um, and she's, she's coming to terms with that. That's what I mean by it. And it's nice. It's nice to see that actually. It's nice to see that growth in her. It's also nice to see her come back more determined and more badass. Isn't necessarily the right word because we haven't seen her do anything quite yet in game. But she did raise one of the Kul'Tiran vessels from the bottom of the fucking Dude. ocean in the short, which I am 99% certain is her father's vessel from back in the day. I just assumed that. Well, the thing is, in Warcraft 3, they never determine, they never really tell you what happens to Dalen's ships, so you don't know. Um, you know that many of them, you know, got sunk, and that's all you know, but you don't know what happened to his capital vessel. And the idea is that, you know, he may have gotten back, you know, or not he, but like that ship may have gotten back uh, to Kul'Tiras. And that's started their whole like isolationism after that. That's how they got the word back. We don't know yet. I have a feeling that that's going to be done in game, which, again, we don't have all the cinematics and opening stuff quite yet. Um, but it's a really great like laying the groundwork for it. And we still have more to come too. We know that there's going to be a Sylvanas Warbringer short. Um, in the preview, she was definitely one of them. There's a Queen Azara one, yes. which to me is huge. And the reason this is huge, she was a big player or supposed to be a big player in at least two expansions. She had a small presence in Azuna in Legion, but then nothing came of it with her. We fought her agents. We never did anything with her. And now, because I've been screaming at the top of my lungs, and now I'm finally, people are starting to believe I'm right, that this expansion coming is an old god expansion. What better fucking time to do stuff with Queen Azara than right then, where in the stories, that's how she turned into what she is. She's a super powerful sorceress, but she made a deal with a fucking old god. She is one of the characters in this game that I have always thought has been so underused, it's unbelievable. Agreed. Like, there's well, so much potential there. Well, we were supposed to have her back in Cataclysm. There was an entire yeah. zone in Raid that was canceled for that revolved around her. But now we're going to be spending a lot of time underwater, I think, and at least water-based, and it's perfect. We have an entire section of the Alliance is all going to be Navy-based. We have an entire section of the Horde that's Navy-based. Like, that's the opening thing. You're trying to get those Navies to help you out. And it's like what better time to bring in somebody who has dominion over the water than right then. So I'm excited for that. Um, and there's little tidbits here and there. Um, we don't know all the people that we're going to be getting Warbringers for, but we know that I believe there's at least four, might be five coming, but I'm excited for those. And if they're anything done like this and stylized like this, I am sold. Like just absolutely f just, Yeah. I'm good. <laughs> now, Warbringers aside, we did actually start to get some more information and some more gameplay changes because the new patch just released, the pre-expansion patch, which squished all the items and stats, 
brought all the players' artifacts down to nothing. Uh, the power is now spent on all of them if you're at max level. Um, so you can no longer get those perks. All of your spells and abilities have switched over to the Battle for Azeroth model, um, as well as your PvP stats and everything else like that. Everything's already kicked over. Um, but they started doing the pre-expansion events, and the first one, Chapter 1, uh, is War of the Thorns. Chapter 1 is right now. And it's leading up to the burning of Teldrassil. Now, we know that Teldrassil burns, and this is not a spoiler if anybody tells me that it is where the fuck have you been for the last six months? Um, but we're starting to see how we get there because none of that is ever explained. It's not explained in any other media. It's not explained in the beta for the game. None of that stuff was there because they were planning to do all of that for the pre-expansion event, which I think is cool because it's a, they haven't really done a pre-expansion event that actually had story motivation forever. Like, I can't remember the last time they really did that. Yeah, but you are really stretching the concept of what is a story motivation if you're applying it to this. Like, this is, once again, the we are going to force this faction war. A lot more people have been talking about this, at least in my timeline, that I'm watching people. And and the majority of them actually have been agreeing with me that it's this forced faction bullshit like we literally just finished working with each other and now all of a sudden you're in this situation and based on the initial shit with the sword and having done it on both sides and now this which i did on both sides it is so unbelievably forced like there's there were a few elements that were cool certainly that i went oh that was interesting but overall it's ham-fisted i i if this is what we can expect from the majority of the 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 major story arcs that involve the faction war stuff then oh, fuck i'll be glad when i'm done so it. i i don't i understand and everybody keeps telling me that I'm wrong in this regard. I I don't think everybody is looking at it at the right way. I don't think this is going to remain a battle for Azeroth between the Horde and Alliance, at least not for very long. That's the, the sort of thing that the thing's pinning on at the beginning. But here's the interesting thing, and I've been, I've been shouting about this on Twitter and going back and forth with a bunch of the other lore aficionados and, and people that are... are up on the characters or love the characters as I do. Sylvanas is completely out of character right now. And that's the weird thing. She has been very true to form over the course of several expansions and books at this point. And even throughout Legion, she basically stayed true to who she was and her motivations. This is not like her. She is worried about the survival of her people. And you notice that most of the things don't involve the, the forsaken it's, orcs it's trolls it's torrin it's goblins but her people aren't really around um and not only that but why would she want to go against teldrassil and here's where i've been saying old god old god old god old god i think there's going to be a swerve later because the world trees were planted to keep old god power in check well burning one of those down especially one that was failed to get got to and corrupted through the emerald dream in the last expansion, something something's pushing her in a direction that's out of character. I don't think this is her. And that's the part that, like, while it looks weird now, I think there's going to be a reveal of something of that nature later. 
And I'm okay if that's the case. If it just remains, she's just a warmongering asshole, I'm going to have a problem. See, so the, I'm not saying you're wrong, and I, I certainly would like that to be the case. However, why would they sit on story elements so profoundly incredible that they're bound to draw people in and, and, and make them want to buy the expansion immediately and instead push this false narrative about this battle between the factions? To me, it seems counterproductive to marketing 101 it's it's it to to me again i'm not saying you're wrong and i would love it if you're right but to me that just seems completely idiotic if that's what they do i can tell you why i think it is that they're doing this and i have a feeling it has to do with the fact that pvpers which is not an insignificant amount of the player base were complaining that pvp felt tacked on last expansion and so they're trying to do uh i don't want to say a dual marketing but they're going to play up that faction war. And that's why like war fronts are a thing. War fronts are the new PVP thing. There's a whole new PVP system in place. They wouldn't do that if that wasn't part of the plan, but they want to make sure that there's something for those players. And, to, and I think this is a swing to let them know that they're not forgotten. Oh God, and tell me this isn't that esports influence no. this. No, no, no. I don't think this is esports at all. I think it's more players really like pvp and pvp realms and doing battlegrounds and stuff like that and like in warlords warlords of draenor whether you loved or hated that expansion the pvp was really cool there was an entire zone dedicated to it just like the old alteric valley um and if you look at some of their other ips as well especially like heroes of the storm heroes of the storm added an alteric valley map very decidedly and i think poignantly right before battle for azeroth i think that was purposeful and I think this all plays together because I think they're trying to sort of capture that old PvP flavor for those players again and draw them back in. And not, I think this is basically saying we didn't forget about you. Because if you go through the forums and you go through, uh, I mean, if you, you want to wait, I still shit, like myself a little too much to do that. <laughs> but that's the biggest complaint that you get from those PvPers and PvP realms is PvP felt attacked on thing that didn't matter last expansion. The only thing that you did PvP for or the only thing that PvP was even worth for a lot of players was getting your artifact appearance, getting rank 51, essentially. The, and that's see, it. The only thing that I would say, and the last thing I'll say about that, and again, not to challenge, but just to say, but why would they tack the PvP elements of this expansion directly into the lore in such a profound manner that it represents at this stage the entirety of what we know about the expansion being the faction war is on and worse than ever before kind of deal i know why would they why i never said they were smart fair <laughs> enough fair enough <laughs> So, I mean, they've made some really dumb decisions in the past, Garrosh. Um, so, I mean, they're not above making weird decisions to, to get wherever they want to go. But right now, as long as it's not going to remain that, I don't have a problem yet. It, it doesn't really tick me off as much as the other players uh, that I've heard because I see the same things on my timeline. Yeah. Now, on a happier note, uh, we did also see that there is actually a starting area for uh, the Dark Iron Dwarves which I thought was kind of cool, and it happens to be BRD. Um, it's a completely redone Black Rot Depths where you get there from your mold machine, and you get to go to most of those places that you could, 
uh, including some different updates to uh, what they call, it's called Shadow Forge, which I think is awesome name for it. Uh, but you can have neutral elementals to go interact with and you can go to the Grim Guzzler. And it's, it's an interesting thing because the other factions, like you can't really run around Suramar as a Nightborn. Like there's a small section of it you can, but it's not really, it's basically like one little garden area on a terrace and that's it. Um, high Mountain obviously have the High Mountain Zone. Um Lightforged have what that weird not Exodar ship, and that's really it. Like they're actually putting some effort into these new allied races. The Magar orcs also have uh, an entire starting area and everything else. Like it's cool that they they show that while the ones we've gotten so far may I don't want to say rushed, um, but we're sort of like getting your feet wet for allied races. It seems going forward that there's going to be more thought put into them i guess would be the best way to put it and i'm and that that's okay i'm okay with that i think it's more than that though i think that because of how integrated these races are in the existing world it's easier for them to just say hey how about we put them in brd and yeah there's work clearly involved in Mm -hmm. setting that all up for them but it fits in the world in a way that makes it so much easier for them to do that and the same thing with the zandalaris all you got to do is tack on some new islands and, you know, copy and paste some of the same decor you've got in the other zones and whatever. Like, there's different things that they can do because of the the underlying infrastructure is already there for those races. And the beauty of it is, by doing that, it makes you feel that much more like you are, you know, Joe from this tribe or this community or whatever in the world that you have interacted with in the past but now you're actually one of them and that's Mm -hmm. what the allied races were supposed to be in my mind at least all along and that's what i love the most about it and yeah the the other ones are way smaller but we didn't have the same um setup for those those races in the world most of some of them are kind of scattered or and some of them never seen so so it's different. But with the ones that we know, like the stuff with Kelteras, I'm really looking forward to that as well. Because, again, this shit with, with, with Jaina has me very interested to see what the quest lines are going to be then in that area, if there are enough and things like that. And the interesting thing for me, too, especially with Kelteras, is that like the Kelterans are an allied race. They have an entire druid section and... It's not accidental, their druid forms. And them showing you why that's a thing is definitely present there. And I haven't seen the starting, like, area or where basically the Kaltirian allied races start from. But the lore, the story, and the meat of that area is fantastic. And honestly, when I was playing through the area, the first thing that came to my mind is... I can't wait for Roger to see some of this and see what he says. Oh, yeah. I th- fuck. I think I've already have my name reserved and my character <laughs> preset up on a realm where I've got some friends that play there. And I am, I am probably, if I'm not playing with Tristan, our horde characters, I'm going to be working on that druid before I forget. And I, you can keep, you can go back after, but going back to the shit that's going on with, um, with uh, Sylvanas right now and mm-hmm. Teldrassil and whatnot. 
I will. I have one complaint, and I knew this was going to happen, but I had to check anyways if there was anything. And you would think that a developer with like Blizzard with this many years, over a decade of experience and things like that, would understand that the importance of lore and the importance of said lore and character identity with your class and everything. I did it on my Torn Druid. Yeah. My Torn Druid is being told to take <laughs> down tree. trees and everything. And there's never a moment where my Torn, my Druid's like, you know, gee, maybe not. Or, and I'm not even suggesting they have to do an alternate story arc or whatever for just the Druids. That's ridiculous. Although, let's be honest. For some races, it would fit, or not races, classes, it would fit in different circumstances. Yeah. So, but even just to have a different freaking uh, text box for Druid where it's like, I don't really feel comfortable with this. And she just puts you in your fucking place. And it's like, all right, all right. I understand. I'm. I'm just a soldier in this this thing, so fine, and and then do it. But give us fucking something. It just felt really, really disconnected. I hated it. Yeah, and I think the problem with that though is that that, and I, and I was thinking about this too, is right now the quests they're not the greatest thing since sliced bread, and they suffer from what I like to call MMO syndrome. Um, really cool concepts, but like you're saying, it's sort of leans on the MMO side, not the RPG side. We don't have those choices. And and I would like them. I understand why they're not there. Uh, I don't really agree that they're not there. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, well, yeah, but again, all we have to do is look at some quest text that appears currently in the game where they address you by your class. Sure, so but that's, have, that's a variable, right? That's what I mean, but it's a variable they can put in just to, instead of it just saying, hello, Druid, and then giving you the quest deck, they can just say, hello, Druid, and then the things that I'm saying, too, in terms of what your options are. And it, it's all just ifs and thens. It's really not a big deal for them to put it in for this little quest line, and they you know, literally have to put it in at the beginning, and then that's it. You get put in your normally, place and you're done. I normally would agree with you, but we're at a point where even in Legion, where they're releasing hotfixes for current content, they were breaking old content like Alduar, like completely unrelated stuff. And the problem is, is this game, even though it went through a massive overhaul years ago, you're still piling new stuff upon old stuff. And the more variables you put on it and the more things you pile on top of it, the more you expand your chance of something weird going wrong later. And so I can kind of understand why they don't want to do that. Like I said, I don't agree with it. I can just understand where the mentality comes from. Yeah. But that mentality is never swing for the fences because it's not a matter of, it's not a matter of swinging for the fences It's a matter of minimizing technical downtime, right? You're thinking of it as it, which I can appreciate. Mm -hmm. I understand that, but try thinking of it as a creative writer, developer, whatever you want to call it. Instead, you're not swinging for the fences. You're playing it safe. So I would rather they swing for the fence. Yeah. You fuck up all for a couple of days. Fine. Fix it. Whatever. At least you tried than just bunting. Well, I mean, it, it's, I don't view it as just bunting though, because when you look at like even the beta for beta is a great example for it, they were changing quest text. And I remember at one point 
um, they changed a line of quest text to call specifically High Mountain Torrent. Not Torrent, High Mountain Torrent. Do you know what happened with that? You couldn't progress through the rest of the quest fields. Things wouldn't spawn if you were a High Mountain Torrent. You literally had to change race. Like it's weird consequences like that that I that that come to mind that I've seen already that they had to go back and fix. So like I get it, and it's one of those things we could talk about it for hours. From you know swinging for the fences from a, a consumer standpoint, and then the sort of creator standpoint, and then the you know what the approach they're actually taking. Uh, but at the end of the day, unfortunately, all we can do is kind of move through it, which is what it feels like in a lot of those quests, and that's. That's fine for now. At least oh, yeah. Time. Again, these are, are, are critical things. Just to shoot the breeze about, it's certainly not something that I'm freaking shaking my sky at cloud, my fist at clouds in the sky kind of bullshit. But, but in terms of the actual quest lines, I'm assuming you only did it on the Horde side, right? Uh, yeah, so far. Yeah. I, you know, I did it on both. I was expecting a lot more. A lot more. The, um, the Horde side kind of had more. I mean, the Alliance side, you're basically immediately, okay, get over there and help them out. And you're kind of thrown in, at least with the Horde side, there's some subterfuge beforehand kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Not that it's intelligent or anything, but whatever, at least it's something. But but overall on both sides, I don't know about you, but again, I, I was kind of expecting more. Not necessarily more in terms of... Um, significantly more gameplay or anything like that just more impactful than what it was see and i think it may be my my i don't want to say i'm too close to it but like i was digging for the little things and there are certain little things that set off red flags that caused me to go and like put the pictures on the wall and start connecting the strings of yarn that i'm pulling from it like for example and i'll just throw this out there real quick the fact that she wants to kill malfurion she's never had a beef with malfurion why the fuck would she specifically want to kill Malfurion? Yes, please tell me because I was wondering that too. Well, that's and this is where I started, and this is why people people tell me I'm crazy on this shit, but I think I'm right here, and this is why I think it's an old god related. What what literally happened in the very first raid zone of the last expansion when we were dealing with the Emerald Nightmare? The Emerald Nightmare, run by an old god, tried to fucking kill all of the ancients and Malfurion. We failed. We stopped it. We saved him. We didn't save all the ancients, but we sure as shit saved Malfurion, who is regarded as the oldest druid on the fucking planet, probably the one most capable of healing Azeroth. Why? That's why I'm thinking there's some old god influence here somewhere, because killing him is massive. Old gods don't want Azeroth healed. Yeah, old, but- gods want to, old gods want to corrupt Azeroth. Azeroth is wounded right now and dying. It's what? a perfect way to get in there. Yeah, but what? They're how are they getting her to do this? That's the part that we don't know yeah. because there's a big well, and there's and this is where I think we're going to get more of this later. There's a big chunk of what happens with Sylvanas after Stormheim that's missing, and we don't know what like what she's doing or what deal she's made. And there's some other things too. We know she made a deal with. Helia, right? Well, Helia was the one that ripped open a portal to the Shadowlands, introduced Odin to something ancient and powerful that Odin made a deal with to learn how to make the Valkyr and made the Valkyr. The Valkyr are the ones that are, you know, 
resurrecting Sylvanas and bringing the the Forsaken to life. I think this is all connected to that. And I think whatever's in that Shadowland is linked to the old gods in some way and is whatever deal she made is going that way. And I think she doesn't even realize it. I think that she's been told you need to do X, Y, and Z to get what you want, you know, basically tit for tat. And I think that's what's happening. I think there's something like that going on more than anything else. See, I would agree more word enough for the fact that Stormrage literally felt, unless she, they made her look like she was acting, look like it was just one of those spur of the moments. Fine, we'll go after Stormrage. There was no thought to it. At least it didn't appear that way. Well, and that's the part that, that's the part that I think leans more towards this is because everything she's done, there's been like a reason for it. There's been a motivation. There's been something solid for it. This is sort of not her, right? Like he's on a completely different continent. He has nothing to bother her with. There's nothing that he can do to her, even an Orgrimmar. And why specifically go after him unless she's told that that's what she has to do. And everything that happened with like Sylvanas in Legion technically happened after the Emerald Nightmare raid. So that's why I'm thinking that there's more there and that there's going to be more things that get revealed later as to why, in fact, she's actually doing this. And I don't think that she's corrupted by an old god like Garrosh was or or anything like that or being made manifest more her her foibles or or whatever the case is. But you do think that she's being played like a puppet. I think she's been... I think she was made an offer and this is her payment. Right. That's what I don't think it's played like a fiddle. I think it's what does she care if she kills a world tree? She don't give a damn. What if she has to go kill Malfurion? She's got no love for him. She's got no bond. She's got nothing that's, that says keep her keep him from doing this. Added bonus, if he doesn't heal the world, she gets more Azerite. So okay, yeah, this sounds like a fair trade to me. And I get I get more Valkyr out of this, or I get eternal life for my people and their devotion for saving their lives. Yeah, I, I think there's going to be something along those lines that come out where we see that she's not corrupted, but she made a she made a deal that she didn't quite understand the scope of, or something along those lines. My two cents. No, well appreciated, well appreciated. That was awesome. Okay, that was it for. We're stopping. Yeah, wow. Sorry. <laughs> no, not at all. I was going to say it's a perfect segue. We're talking about being critical about creating worlds. Well, No Man's Sky has got a ton of criticism about creating worlds. Roger, you want to talk about that? Well, actually. <laughs> kind of pressed on time now <laughs> but i will say briefly uh yeah they did an update but I, I i went into it but very very briefly and i did want to check to see whether or not like you had said you weren't sure if the old content was still there my old character is still there and whatnot i do however want to create a new character and kind of start it fresh with a lot of the different stuff that they have put in because I actually haven't played for quite a while now. So there's some stuff that they put in that while it sounded awesome, I was at a stage in the game where I was like, eh, I think I've done most of what I want to for the time being. But now with this, I'm looking at it and thinking, okay, yeah, I'll definitely go back in. I'll start working on the same kind of thing, build up your your weapons, your backpack, all the things that you can make and whatnot. And then this idea of the bases as well, and that now they've been really enhanced and you can have as many as you want and things like that, which is fucking interesting. I don't know if you guys saw the gif of the guy who made a base that literally is just stacked on top of each other. So it goes up above the cloud lines and then he jumps down into water. That was awesome. But, um, But the idea of 
colonizing is really quite interesting because yeah, there it's multiplayer and there are more people playing it, but if you've played the game at all and bounced around, you know fucking huge. Unless you point blank are making a point to go see other people or whatever. I don't know how much of a difference it's made yet, but I know at least before in terms of the scope, it was unbelievably huge. And so the idea of finding that corner of the world that you can call your own, your own little solar system galaxy area that you can get your fleet to build up as big as you want, colonize several of the planets that are on there to get your resources and whatnot. It's essentially Sims in space, but done really fucking well. And then you can also open up your base to other people to come and see and friends and things like that. You can make the tracks from your terrain vehicles, which is fucking awesome. Like there's a lot of really cool stuff that they've put in here. Not the least of which also being the, the visual fucking overhaul is unbelievable like i was always a fan of the style yes it's a very simplistic sorry it was a very simplistic style but i was all right with that it worked with the aesthetic of the game and especially because it's procedurally generated and whatnot but now you go in and you look at shit and it as someone who hasn't been in in a while is so noticeable it's unbelievable like it's just absolutely gorgeous so the one down the one downside with the new update i did see is that uh gog games yes um unfortunately isn't getting the multiplayer aspect of it yet and i think it has something to do with the drm free versions that they get i would assume so that's the only thing that made sense mine is on steam so i didn't have a problem yeah but yeah they're they are offering refunds though and they are saying because it's going to be a few months so i I, I, I don't know what I would tell those people because, again, some of them may have bought it just on a whim because of all the hype going on and they'd like to be part of that initial hype. I can say, however, as someone, again, who played a lot. I don't know how many hours I got racked up, but I played a fuck ton of this game before. And again, I'm looking forward to getting back in because I really, really enjoyed it then and it's only gotten better. So if you're someone that can be patient about that and wait just kind of go in and do your own shit for a while anyway. You can build up your fleet, you can build up your bases and different things like that. And then once the multiplayer is added in, theoretically, you should be able to just kind of use the same character. I, I would hope, but if not, still, it's a fun game to play. So again, that's just my opinion as someone who actually really enjoys the game. Let's move on to from there. Very briefly, there were a couple of other things, but we should probably let Vince talk at some point. I was just going to say, so world building is a great I, segue. I've for just Dungeons been enjoying listening to the episode. <laughs> Bullshit. <laughs> You're playing something on a portable, if not on your gaming PC or on the the, the PS4. Okay, uh, talk to us about Dungeons and Dragons and uh, Magic. Yeah, there was some interesting stuff that came out this week. Um, it actually leaked out a bit early on Amazon. They put the posting up uh, a day early, but uh, was it Tuesday? I think it was yep. Tuesday. D&D officially announced their next uh, setting uh, books that are coming out. Uh, the first of which is actually lining up with the next season of Magic the Gathering, where the new season is going back to the uh, Ravnica setting, which somebody who knows magic better than me can probably speak to that but they're doing a crossover with D&D &D like they've done before they've done uh free pdfs 
that were just basic setting stuff for running your D&D game in various magic settings. Uh, Zandikar was the first one that came out, and they've done them pretty much annually since then. But this is the first time it's getting a full published version in the Guildmaster's Guide to Ravnica. Coming out in, I think they said November. It's going to be pretty interesting to see how much more they're putting in this, because those those other ones were short little supplements. I mean, they were free. So I'm interested to see what they could do with a full book of a D&D realized magic setting because Ravnica is a pretty fucking cool one. It's an entire realm that's one giant city controlled by 10 guilds and it's got this amazing blend of magic and technology that's just full of great ideas for D&D campaigns. Yeah, it's it got me super excited. Like I haven't played Magic in a number of years, but Ravnica was always my favorite because it was always one of the cooler settings as far as I was concerned. When like them bringing this into a full-fledged DD, it was it's an instant purchase for me. Like there's I'm not even going to hem and haw about it. Just shut up and take my money. <laughs> so everybody saw that coming thanks to Amazon, but Wizards of the Coast wasn't quite done. They dropped out Another interesting uh, supplement, the Wayfinder's Guide to Eberron, uh, currently only available digitally either through D&D Beyond or the Dungeon Master's Guild. And it's technically still in the playtest phase, but what's actually pretty interesting is they're, you know, they're testing it and updating it. I've already gotten two emails for updates to the PDF with like new stats and stuff. They said like once they're done they're going to like activate the the print on demand ability. So once it's once it's fully uh, up to up to snuff with uh, playtesting and balancing, you can actually get a, a printed version of it. But I got the PDF because Eberron is fucking cool. Like even the front cover of this is amazing. You've got a Warforged, which is essentially a sentient magical robot person jumping off the side of an airship onto a magically powered locomotive. Like just the cover art for this book. It immediately gets you excited to want to play it because Eberron is an absolute blast of a setting. It, there's fucking magic shit everywhere. Hold, and, hold on, hold on. Those mm-hmm. those Warforged things that you were talking about, can they be druids? That is up to the DM's discretion. <laughs> She is so playing a druid. <laughs> Listen, if she wants me to kill her current character and play a new one, I'm more than happy to make that happen. <laughs> that aside. If you um, folks aren't reading Allie's Twitter, you probably should. <laughs> <laughs> What's funny is she's going on all this writing, and I never told her she couldn't. I, I kept wanting to say, oh, hun, <laughs> you have all the power in this relationship. <laughs> you know that. <laughs> But what really is exciting about Eberron is it was written in a style of just high adventure, like Indiana Jones style. Just go out there. Here's a bunch of cool shit and have fun with it. Go raid temples. Go fight necromancers. Like it's a very like pulp action feel to the D&D in this cool setting, which is actually pretty exciting. Like I, I have... I've flipped through the PDF so far, just looking at like some of the mechanical stuff that's in there. Uh, the four new playable races headlined, of course, by the Warforged, which 
are very interesting. I mean, they they were essentially, they said, magical sentient robots that were created to fight in a war. Well, now that the war is over, you've got armies full of people that now need something to do. Perfect fodder for being an adventurer. And mechanically, they're a little on the powerful side, but Warforged were always a little on the powerful side. And of course, balancing is still to come. Lots of other interesting stuff in there. Uh, shifters, like they're uh, like a beast, uh, human hybrid race. Uh, changelings, like from fairy culture, and the Kalashtar, I think that's how it's pronounced, which are humans that are fused with like psionic entities. Think like the Shadow King from X-Men. So <laughs> absolutely crazy shit, but it's it's very in fitting with the setting. It'll be, of course, up to individual dungeon masters how those will fit in with their current settings if they wish to use them, as well as the stuff for dragon marks, which are essentially like boons from the universe itself that manifests as like these birthmark style tattoos that give the characters that have them like extra abilities and like all kinds of shit. They said that this is where the official version of the artificer class is going to eventually be artificers being like tinker type wizards. So making magical machines, which it's, it's already out there in a playtest version and they're going to meld it in with this book because this is where the artificer originally came from, was from the Eberron setting. So once that's melded in with the book, that'll all be part of the final product. But it's... I always talk about how, like, different settings give you different feelings. Like, of course, if you're playing a game in Barovia and Ravenloft, it's going to have that gothic horror feel. Uh, the older settings, like, I'm completely blanking. Uh, <laughs> uh, Greyhawk and, and that sort of stuff. It's very classic Lord of the Rings style fantasy adventures. Uh, Forgotten Realms, it, it's the Forgotten Realms. I think they've pretty much done everything with them right now. But Eberron yeah. is absolutely the high action and adventure, go be big damn heroes setting. And so much so that it was one of the basis for Dungeons and Dragons Online and was really big in 2005 for most of their video games. Mm hmm. And while I don't tend to play in any of the official settings, I still get so much inspiration out of seeing the the lore and stuff that I'm, I'll never play in Eberron, but down the line, I might make an Eberron-style world and campaign of my own, which, which is all I want out of these books, is just more inspiration, more ideas, and getting it here wonderfully. See, all I know is that they're doing Eberron, which is great, and it gives me hope because I need Dark Sun. I, it's got to be coming. It's got to be like they've, because... they've been teasing it too much. I think I think once Mike Merles has a more working version of the the psionic class, yeah, uh, available. I think, it's, I think that's it. Yeah, because we we got Th we got Thrycreens. Malls are back. Like all of that stuff is there. Just give it to me. Well, I mean the the Artificer Unearthed Arcana came out what like two years ago, I think. Yeah, we're just now getting Eberron. So it, it's it's interesting to look back and go, they were actually kind of planning for this the whole time, yep. and now it's here. And actually, what's what's really cool about this is they actually brought back uh, Keith Baker, the original designer of Eberron. He's not working with wizards. He just wrote the supplement, and he's like, okay, here here's how, here's my Eberron, and he's still off doing his own thing. But it's great to get the original designer back in uh, to to give his his two cents on what we're going forward with. All right. Yeah, that sounds awesome. Actually, you know what? That made me think of something that we may start doing if everybody's on board with it for our campaigns. 
We're going to talk afterward in recording because I, okay. <laughs> I got a pretty good idea. We're going to see what we can do with it. Anyways, we're going to move on, though. And because we haven't heard Joe talk enough, Joe, <laughs> <laughs> you're going to talk to us about a whole fuck ton of both superheroes and supervillains in your own time. Go for it. So I'm going to go ahead and start with Spider-Man because why the fuck wouldn't I? Spider-Man. Um, so we're starting to learn a little bit more about the world that Insomniac Games is putting together for us. And, uh, yeah, it's not what we thought it was. Like, we were, we were pretty sure that Negative Man was like, going to be the big bad and was the reason behind all of these, like, villains running amok and who was screwing with Peter. Yeah, apparently there's a shadow figure that's even above him pulling the strings. Um, they've been pretty good about, like, keeping that tight lip, but there was a story trailer where he's surrounded by essentially the Sinister Six plus Negative Man, and then another figure looms. And it's somebody from the past, which I'm trying to put my hand on uh, and figure out who it is. Go ahead. Watching that trailer, it sounds an awful lot like robotic arms. Let me just put it that way. There's some sound effects in there yeah. that are very familiar. I, and because well, they've was already the talked only... about that. What's that? They've already talked about that. Did they? You're talking about Doc Ock, right? Clearly. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that was already leaked by one of the voice actors. Like that was literally what three weeks ago. The voice actor, one of the voice actors in the game, leaked that the final person was going to be Doc Ock, and it was one of those. Once well, a sinister sick of six, of course, is going to be Doc Ock. Like <laughs> well, we kind of all knew that. So the reason, well, yeah. the reason that it's interesting for me though is because the they also showed that Miles and Mary Jane are going to be way more involved. Yeah. And we don't know the extent of Miles, but Mary Jane is definitely playable. And there's entire sections where, like, it looks like you're going to be playing for as her doing things. And that means to me that maybe Miles is going to be as well. And if this is anything like the Amalgam world that they're saying that they're going to do, and it looks like it's going to follow the comic book that's going to be coming out, which we know that it is, at least to a certain extent, Miles has powers. He's going to be part of this. And if the rumor of Dan Slott possibly being tapped for story beats, um, I mean, we might have a death of Spider-Man on our hands in this game. Like, Well, that wasn't Slott, though. He's the one that did Superior Spider-Man. Superior Spider-Man. Oh, that's what you... Oh, I yeah, thought you were talking about the, the death the of Ultimate, Ultimate Spider-Man. Yeah. Okay. I'm not talking about death of Ultimate Spider-Man. I'm talking about, like... Well, you know, he didn't die. He himself in the brain. Yeah, that was sure. A, it was a Freaky Friday. That's sorry. They we just misunderstood that. Yeah, I. Yeah, but it's a, it's the principle of it. I love it. I love the idea of the more miles, the fucking better. <laughs> I mean, literally, if they kill <laughs> off Peter halfway through this game and Miles takes over, I'm good with that. So I, I'm. I might buy a second copy of the game at that point. Yeah, really. <laughs> like again, I I was talking clearly. You were in the conversation on Twitter there. I. I don't want just a DLC of Miles in this game. I want a Miles Morales Spider-Man game. Like there's mm -hmm. there's so much to do with not just the character, but the character's abilities because they are different from Peter's and all kinds of stuff. Like there's the playstyle would be different. Everything would be different. I I would love to see that. And we've seen Miles in so many kick-ass fucking moments that everything from holding Cap's shield onward, like so many things where he has proven 
just how incredible a character he is and how much people rally behind him as a character that I think that they must know that. They must know that the reception they're getting from the, even just this trailer is enough for them to be pitching a lot more content with Miles and just Miles. And I hope that's going to be the case. Uh, if for nothing else, then if this winds up being like a starting point where we start getting a series of games uh, based on Miles or any of the other Spider-Men that are out there in the universe, uh, I'd be okay with that too. Spider-Man. So I, I would love to have a Spider-Gwen <laughs> game, honestly. Yeah, although she wasn't as strong as we had hoped. That would, that had come out while we were doing still Comic Book Informer, and it was one of those, damn, I was hoping that would be better. Granted, I haven't read it for a while, so I don't know if it's gotten any better. I think it has, but that's that's me. Um, but not just Spider-Man uh, being a thing. We also got some more Lego DC supervillain information, which I love the Lego games to begin with. And I love DC to a certain extent. Like I love the idea of the characters, but most of the stuff that they've put out have been very, very weak. However, here we have a storyline where the superheroes are replaced by what seem to be other reality versions of them it looked like um oh what the hell was the name of that that cartoon and comic it's the um, uh the alternate justice league with yeah with the the earth three ones that was the injustice society or something yes that's yeah. it the injustice society that's yeah them. that's exactly who it was yeah so it's them and so they they wind up getting rid of the actual justice league and so it's up to the villains to save the day which is hilarious to me uh and unlike Marvel games where you just play as one of the characters, the Lego DC supervillain game is letting you create your own villain to be the star of the game. Dude, so that was awesome. And, and that's so amazing. you're saying I can create myself. Yes. You can Perfect. wear a giant pickle costume. Pickle you can run around in both a banana suit and a weird car thing as a tutu. Like, why, why not? But that alone got me super excited for this because that is such a cool idea and something that I've been waiting for Marvel to do. And they kind of did it in Lego Marvel to a little bit where you could like create a costume to like infiltrate places. But even then it was just, it was like an after the game thing. This is the center point of the game. Dude, did you not get a huge South Park fractured butthole feel from that? You're oh, making yeah. your own character, only this time it's a villain. You're working with the other villains to fight the even worse villains kind of thing. <laughs> it just, it worked on every level. And that Justice League, fuck, is it, it's not called Injustice League. It's something else, isn't it? I thought it was something else. But we've there, seen there have them. been so many different versions of the evil well, Justice League over the years. We've seen them on, yeah, exactly. We've seen them in a bunch of different things. So I know who they're talking about. So as soon as we saw them, it was like, oh, I, I get exactly what you're doing, and I'm on board for it. The fact that the the the, the DC villains, which are normally just laughable, are going to be banding together and trying to fight against these guys. With you helping again, that I got that fractured butthole feel there, especially when they're scrolling through the costumes and everything. I go, yeah, this is this is gonna be a Lego game that'll probably oh, keep me going for a while. These are these are the ones from the Crisis of Two Earths. Yes, yes, that's what it is. That's that's what it is. Yeah. So yeah, this looks fucking awesome. I loved it. 
So I'm I'm all on board for this. Like I I, I if I wasn't already sold to it, I am now. I, I just love that the Lego games are still finding new and interesting things. Like you you cannot look at two Lego games over the last 12 years or so and go, yeah, those are a little too similar. Like every single year they put out a new game that is innovative and worth your time and money. I, I just respect the hell out of them for that. Definitely. Okay, with that, we are going to call it a wrap. Thank you very much for joining us. You can find the show notes at ForTheLore.com. You can also find us on iTunes and Stitcher and Twitter at ForTheLore. Joe is loaders at Jane Vincent Simodian and Marty, who couldn't make it tonight, is Officer Gleason. And with that, we will talk to you guys next week. Thank you for listening to For The Lore. If you'd like to hear more from the guys, check out Popcorn Ronin with Roger and Vince, a movie, TV, and anime podcast, as well as Lore Watch, a Blizzard lore podcast co-starring Joe. And if you're into comic books, check out All Comics Considered with Marty and his crew. Lastly, thanks to Manelli Jamal for the show's theme music. You can find him at ManelliJamal.com as well as on iTunes and help support this incredible musician by picking up his CDs.